Previously on Cast and Wax. Oh, uh, hold on, I got a phone call. Hello? Yes, this is he. What? Are, are you sure? My god. Oh my god, that's terrible. Hello, Frank Allen here. Hey, Jordan, uh, good to hear from you. I'll be over in just a little bit. I just wanted to wrap up a couple... What? What? That... That's... That's not po possible. I just... I mean, I just saw him two days... Um, on December 24th, 2012, uh, Roy Sinjin passed away. Uh, he meant a lot to us at the podcast, and we will miss him. This is Jordan D. White, and uh, I'm still here. Uh, I took a, a bit of a break from uh, from Washington D.C. from my trip to Washington uh, due to the tragedy. Um, there's been a lot to deal with here on our end, um, but I took the month of January off. Uh, so obviously, the month is almost over. I probably won't be here for the next podcast. But uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for 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 being here, and thank you for your kind words of support in this uh, difficult time when we've lost one of our own. Uh, that song that I just played is uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. It's I only played part of it, but um, it's a good song. I Basically, I felt like none of my songs were quite sad enough to really uh, start a show where somebody's died, so I figured I would just uh, play somebody else's oh, song. That was, that's a, that was a weird choice, though. Well, I, I mean, I don't know why. I, I think it's a very melancholy-sounding song. Oh, I mean, like mood, like tone. There's a baby crying in the background. I don't know if you can hear that, but... Anyway, there's like the mood and the tone is is melancholy, but I I don't know that it's a sad song. I I don't know, man. It sounds sad to me. Oh, does it? Like, uh, uh, welcome to your life. There's no turning back. You will, while we sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior. Turn your back on Mother Nature. Everybody wants to rule the world. That sounds sad to you. Well, I mean, not in the traditional a friend of ours died kind of way. No, maybe not. But I mean, generally speaking, it was a 
kind of a sad, okay, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe that was a, a poor choice. Yeah, I definitely think it was a poor choice. And not to mention, you, 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 you stopped it right before it got to, like, the really not relevant to somebody dying part. What are you talking about? The next verse. What's, what's the next verse? Uh, well, you mean the next, I mean, it's, it's a weird song. I guess it has, like, different choruses. The, the next part is, um, uh, let me grab my banjolele here. Next part is, um, I can't stand this indecision, married with a lack of vision. Everybody wants to rule the Say that you'll never, 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 never need it. One headline, why believe it? Everybody wants to rule the world. All for freedom and for pleasure, nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah, you see, I mean, you see what I'm talking about. Uh, married with a lack of vision, not about a friend dying. One headline, why believe it? I, I, I mean, I don't know that this song is really about much of anything. I, I don't know. I mean, like, it touches into, like, kind of a, a general melancholy of the soul, doesn't it? Like, you know, you just kind of feel it. Yeah, yeah, you just feel all for freedom and for pleasure, right? Yeah, but nothing ever lasts forever. Yeah, yeah, that's real deep. Okay, well... Let's move on. Uh, the point is, a friend of ours has passed away. Yes, that's true. Um, uh, my name is uh, Jordan D. White. Thank you for listening to my podcast. This is Frank Allen. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we're both feeling the loss uh, pretty, pretty, pretty sharply. Yeah, yeah. I definitely didn't think I would outlive Rory. He's a lot younger than me. So, did you spend a lot of time thinking about who's going to die first of the three of us? I know, but I just assumed it was me. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would have put money on you. Yeah, just goes to show. Just goes to show. You don't ever know. Um, uh, but we do have one other uh, uh, co-host here. Um, uh, Mr. Scape White, who is okay, but before I let him talk, let me just say he's a cat. Okay, he doesn't know stuff. He doesn't understand stuff. He's not feeling the loss as much as um, the rest of us are. So I've asked him. I, he's in the other room. I have uh, not not brought him in yet, but I'm going to bring him in because once I go away, he's going to be back to being the host of the show. But I just, I, I mean, again, I just wanted to give a little warning before I bring him in that he is not, he doesn't understand death as much as we do, and he doesn't feel it as much, and so he's not going to be as, as sensitive or as, okay, you get it. Yeah, I think we get it. All right, let me, br- let me bring him in. Escape! Come on in, Escape! Come on. Okay, welcome, welcome. Hello, everybody. Hello. How are we doing? My name is Scape White. Welcome, Scapey. Welcome. Um, uh, we're just talking about, as we're probably going to be talking about most of the show, we're talking about our good friend Rory. Oh, yeah. Rory's not here today. Uh, no, he's not. Um, but he's not, he's not going to be, he's not going to be on the podcast anymore, Rory. He's not going to be on it anymore. Oh, well, that's too bad. Uh, well, yeah, yes, it is. I mean, but I, I talked to you about the Scapey. I, to- I told you, uh, Rory, Rory died, so he can't be with us on the podcast anymore. Okay. So then it's just going to be the three of us? Well, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I have, uh, for now, I mean, I'm going to leave soon, too. You remember, I have to go back to Washington. Oh, Dad, don't do it. It sucks when you're not here. Well, you'll be the host again. Oh, well, that part's good. But come on, Dad, you you can let me be the host and you can still be on. No, if I'm going to be on the pod, if I'm going to be on the podcast, I'm going to be the host of the podcast. But that's not what we're talking about today. Like I said, we're talking about our good friend Rory. You said he's not on the podcast anymore. Why are we talking about him? Well, because... Because he's not going to be on, because he's not going to be on the podcast anymore, that's why we are going to. You, you understand? That's why we're going to to talk about him. Well, I hope you don't think when you're not on the podcast next week, we're going to be talking about you the whole time because we're not. We're going to be talking about mostly Scapey, 
And Skype people writing things. Uh, and Frank Allen related things. To a lesser degree. But the point is, we're not going to be like, hey, who's not on the podcast today? Let's talk about them. You know, blah, 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 dad. Hey, dad, 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 blah, 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 dad. Right. But today, I am the head of the podcast, so we're going to be talking about Rory. Okay. Um. So we've got a bunch of letters. Uh, we got, we got, a, we did, we asked for people to send in condolence letters and condolence audio letters. We got both. Um. I figure Um. we also have, you know, shows. We have the normal shows today. Well, a couple of the normal ones and one special one. But I, uh, I figure we'll do the, we'll get the letters out of the way before the shows, and then we'll get the audio letters out of the way after the shows. So please, please write into us. Our email address is castinwax at gmail dot com. That's castinwax at gmail dot com. Um, you can write into us next week uh, about your feelings about Rory, how much you'll miss him, what, what you think about him, and things like that. Or you can write into us about normal podcast things because as much as it, it pains us to let Rory go. We do have to realize that, you know, we have to move on with our lives and things like that, like Scape is, is trying to get us to do. Yeah, just let's go on. If he's not going to be here, whatever. That's his problem for not being here. <sighs> oh, Scapey. He died. <laughs> whatever, Dad. No, that's not whatever. Dying is a big deal. <sighs> well, so, so then why did he do it? He didn't do it on purpose. <sighs> whatever. No, it isn't what, I mean, Scape, it's just, it's not a whatever kind of situation. If I know there's going to be a podcast... I'm not going to die because that means I won't be able to make it. Yeah, but you don't have a say in the... Ma- okay, you know what? Let's just get to the letters. Um, Frank, oh, God, do you want to just read the uh, the first letter here? Ah, uh, sure. Uh, uh, here we go. Jordan, bailiff Quimby here. I uh, wanted to express my condolences for your loss. Find solace that there is another world where Rory is feeling much better. Uh, the Memorial Double Deluxe Faux Cheeseburger is selling like proverbial hotcakes. Also, sales for the heart attack hoax hamburger have declined. Uh, also found this article on page two of this morning's Daily Planet. Thought you might find it interesting. Uh, and then there is a uh, newspaper clipping here. Um, Reign of the Sinjins. Ever since the passing of the famous and formerly esteemed extra historian and fake, fake meat burger co-founder Rory Sinjin, sightings have been reported of the man of many worlds all over the city. But the reports do not describe Rory as the limey little weasel we've known for so many years. Some describe him as a cloned boy version of himself, as he might have been as a teen. Several describe the sighted Rory as a brutal vigilante in orange granny shades who blasts villains with some sort of energy weapon. Many report the resurrected extra historian as a man in a homemade, welded steel Rory costume wielding a sledgehammer. A few have even described Sinjin's second coming as a kind of half-Rory, half-machine cyborg. Local police authorities are baffled and do not know what to make of the reports. According to Commissioner Henderson, continued on 7B. Uh, and then uh, back to Bailiff Quimby, who says, Sorry, my wife clipped the coupons on the other side of 7B. Anyhow, uh, happy 2013 and congratulations on one gross episodes. If you ever need to ship them anywhere, uh, shipping and handling will be discounted now. Bailiff Quimby. Oh, uh, thank you very much, Bailiff. Um, uh, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm happy to hear that... Uh, uh, the June T. Cheeseburger Institute is doing so well in, in Rory's passing. Um, it, I guess it'll stand as a legacy to him and his love, uh, kind of a combined legacy of his love of both money and June Loveburger um, in a twisted way, even though she hates it and uh, left him as a result of it. But still, it's, I mean, that, that's kind of his legacy too, disappointing people and, um, and uh, uh, choosing money over them. But Anyway, um, let's see what else we've got. Uh, we've got some other letters here. Uh, I guess I'll read the next one. Dear Mr. White, I have here from podcast yours about debt of Rory St. John. On one hand, all horrible mean spirit things I have say about him in last letter are true. On other hand, you and Frank Allen appear sad, 
Soul and other refugees send you condolence. If we'll make you feel better... No, bitter, actually, but I think he means better. Other refugees and I offered you free lessons at Endrit Fishta Sans Serifist Licensed School of Extra History, opening next week. Uh, signed, Endrit Fishta. Um, thank you, Endrit. Uh, yeah, I know you and Rory had some disagreements, especially uh, kind of strong ones for a while there, but um, that's really nice of you. You know, I... I, I I think Frank and Rory have, have famously had, had some squabbles in the past. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, uh, and I've been very pleased to see that Frank has come around in Rory's death. So it's good to know that even though there's a lot of animosity towards Rory in his life, sometimes it's good to know people can come together to his death. Um, as for your lessons, I, I mean, I thank you for the offer. I don't, I don't really need extra history lessons. Extra history is still kind of bullshit. So, yeah, I mean, really, it, it was a load of bunk and we tolerated it because Rory was alive. I mean, w well, to be fair, Frank, we're still going to tolerate the concept of it, even though Rory's not here. What? What do you mean? Well, we're still going to do this day in history. And where are they now in history? We are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to play it a little bit later, but, you know, between the episodes like we like we tend to do. Um, but, yeah, we're going to we're going to hear some of those uh, in just a little bit. Oh, God. Why are we what are we doing that for? Well, Frank, because, I mean, Rory took the trouble to, to make them. And so we're going to do them. Wait, Dad, you said Rory's not going to be on the podcast anymore. I, I, no, I mean, he's not going to be in the host segments. He's still he's still like a part of, you know, what the history of the podcast. And he still did all of this day in history. And he, you know, oddly enough, he, he actually finished Where Are They Now in History before he died. The, 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 the last episode he ever recorded, I think, was episode, uh, 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 uh I forget what it was, one of the early December ones, but he recorded it just before he died. And there was only, only episode left undone was December 24th, which I did, uh, as you, as you heard. Um, so I think it's only just that we play all of the episodes that he, he recorded. I mean, we're going to keep playing them every week, just like we always would. Dad, this, I, I would have done them. I think you should let me take over. No, escape. We, we don't need you to take over. He already did the work. They're all pre-recorded. You, you don't need, we don't need anyone to do them. They're, they're all done already. Oh, come on. He lost his rights when he died. Well, yeah, legally, you are correct. But oh, actually, that that brings up a really good point. Like, who uh, who did he leave his uh, his estate to? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not his lawyer. I uh, Not to me. I'm assuming not to you if you're asking about it. So I, I don't know. Uh, they didn't get in touch with me. Huh. So, so I guess he didn't leave you anything. No, no, not, nothing at all. Um, I, I kind of, to be honest with you, I kind of thought he'd leave me the rights to... Um, this day in history and where are they now in history, uh, since I co-created them, but he did not. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. Whoever, whoever owns his estate owns half of those shows. Huh. At any rate, look, I still have the right to play them. I, I, I own them. I do part own them. So d don't worry about that. Um, we, we do have some other letters though. Let's, let's read another one. Frank, you want to read one? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, dear hosts of Cast and Wax, thank you so much for promoting our website on your show. During the holiday season, we were flooded with orders and discovered this increase was due to your talking about our fine cacti on your podcast. We were deeply saddened to hear of the untimely death of Rory Sinjin, who was arguably the greatest proponent of cacti on Cast and Wax. Feel free to use the discount code RORY for a 50% discount on any condolence cacti you wish to send during the month of January, and please accept our heartfelt sympathy for your loss. Sincerely, Robert and Janet Winters, CactusWorldExpress.com. Oh, I mean, that's really nice of you, uh, 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 Mr. and Mrs. Winters. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we actually really, really appreciate uh, that Cactus World Express uh, feels that way about Rory, because uh, we, I and mean, again, we feel, we feel that way too. Um, you know, I, I know we don't usually do ads on this show, um, but I do want to say, if you're listening to this, please Go to cactusworldexpress.com. Um, that's cactusworldexpress.com. 
Uh, you can enter the discount code Rory for a 50% off any condolence cacti. Now, obviously, don't I don't I don't necessarily feel like you need to send me lots of cacti because my cats would probably get poked by it. Yeah, I I heard about cacti. That you told me that's a plant that has claws. Well, I mean, uh, claws is, is a weird way to describe it, but they're sort of like claws. Yeah, uh, like a, a plant that could scratch you. <sighs> So, I mean, yeah, it's, ba- it's I mean, the, the plant doesn't move. So then how does it scratch you? Well, I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't scratch you per se. It it just sits there and it has lots of sharp bits. And if you push yourself against its sharp bits, then they poke. Why would you do that? Uh, I don't know. It sounds like it's kind of like a claw sharpening purse. I don't think you can, I don't think you could sharpen your claws on it. Yeah, you could just kind of be like, scratch, scratch, scratch. But it would be scratching you back while you were doing that. Oh. It wants to fight. <laughs> okay, you guys can understand, I think, why I don't think we need cactuses around the house. Because Scape is already doesn't understand and he wants to fight uh, this cactus. I could kick it, kick it. It can't even kick me one, you said. That's true. It can't even kick you one. But that, okay. We're going to move on to some more letters. Uh, what else we got? Um, I'll read another one. Uh, this one is, uh, f- okay, well, this is from an old quote, unquote, friend of the show. Okay, dear Mr. White, the mourning process for my daughter has been a long and difficult one, and I have not been able to hear every episode of your podcast since I stopped writing. I heard about the loss of your friend Rory, though, and I wanted to commiserate. Death is very difficult, and now that you know it can be hard for the survivors, I hope you and Frank can move on more easily from the loss of Rory than I have from the presumed death of my dear lost daughter Sally, and signed, uh, of course, Rochester Adams. Mr. Adams, I... I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you this, but I'm pretty confident. I, And to be honest with you, I'm... Kind of appalled that the Thorpsburg police didn't talk to you yet, but your daughter was murdered by Chop Henderson uh, as part of a plan to get even with Sam Jackson. So your daughter is definitely dead, and I'm sorry about that. I'm, I, I'm being a little blunt. But again, I'm quite scandalized that the police didn't get in touch with you. I'm pretty sure he's been arrested for the crime and will shortly be on trial for it. So, I mean, fingers crossed, justice will be served. But um, thank you for... Your condolences as well. Um, it, it's nice to hear from you, and I'm sorry about your daughter. She's dead. Um, please don't start writing into us a lot again where you accuse me of things and get the uh, Girl Scouts involved uh, in tracking me again because that was very frightening, and uh, Sting worked really hard to get that to stop. So um, thank you very much, and let's see what else we've got. Uh, Frank, we got another letter here that you could read for me. Yeah, uh, this, oh, this is a longer one. Uh, Dear Jordan Scape and Frank, I am so upset. Oh, hold on, hold be... on, Frank. Um, that actually, if you could just, uh, you know, kind of glance down to the end. What? There. Uh, oh, uh, oh, oh, okay. Uh, I think I see where you're 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 going with this. Yeah. So if you if you don't mind, sure. Uh, dear Jordan, Scape, and Frank, I am so upset that I can't be with you in this very very sad time. I hope to cut short my visit to London to be able to spend some time with you all soon to catch up and remember Rory together. In times like these, one is reminded how important it is to spend time with friends and family and to remind them that you love them, or, in Frank's case, that you generally find them tolerable and sometimes kind of like them, sort of. I wish I had taken the opportunity to express that to Rory, too, before he died. I really regret the way our last conversation ended. It started with a fight over the things I said about him in my manuscript and developed into a rehashing of the whole Jean-Baptiste debacle, and I ended up saying something like, no wonder June had left him and no one wants to be with him. He is just a sad, money-grubbing jerk who handles poop for a living and drives away everyone who crosses his path. 
I really, really regret saying those things. I wouldn't have if I'd known they would be the last things I'd ever say to him. I realize this might not be the most appropriate time to bring this up, but in light of losing Rory so suddenly, I find myself concerned about the rest of my friends, one of whom I still cannot locate. Have any of you heard from Jean-Baptiste? It is now going on months since the hurricane that I have not heard from him. I spent a lovely Christmas at my downtown home with the refugees he sent to stay there and was able to have them all receive medical attention and treated them to a bit of a clothes shopping spree. It was quite wonderful, but I heard from refugees and staff alike that the last time Jean-Baptiste was here, he was equally sickly and gross-seeming, and I am becoming increasingly worried about his health. As there has been no sign of him living at my Upper West Side house, I tried to track him down here in London, where I am visiting and paying my respects to the Queen, who is simply devastated over losing Rory. But he is not in the London offices either, and all I get from his staff is that there is a world where he is in London, and there is a world where he is in New York, and even there is a world where he is on Jupiter, but none of this is particularly helpful. Anyway, getting back to Rory, I just wanted to say that despite our differences, I really truly enjoyed working with him on Welcome to the Waxwork and Cast in Wax, and that he will be very much missed. I hope that all his friends, fans, and listeners can remember him as I am choosing to, in a suit and bow tie, with a big grin from ear to ear, and frolicking in huge piles of his money. I will see you all soon, Lynn. Thank you very much, Frank. That's really nice of you to read. Um, Lynn, thank you for writing into us. Um, yeah, it is really, it is really a bummer that uh, that he died, and it's a bummer that that you yelled at him last time you you spoke to him. Um, must really make you feel like a jerk, and you know, you wouldn't have been such a jerk if you had known. I mean, of course, like nobody, none of us are jerks on purpose. You know, we, we all think we're doing the right thing at the time. And I'm sure you thought you were doing the right thing at the time too, but it turns out you were, you were wasting your only chance at saying something nice to him before he died. Um, and that's, I mean, that's probably going to haunt you. So I'm sorry. And you have my condolences too. Um, thankfully last time I talked to Rory, I said something really nice. So that is good. Um, Anyway, regarding your um, your question about Jean-Baptiste, I actually have heard from Jean-Baptiste. Um, I got an audio letter from him. I haven't really listened to it too closely, but I'm going to be playing it later. So I don't know if he mentions weird health things. I mean, that's the only time I've heard from him. Have you heard from him, Frank? Oh, well, I mean, I did hear the... Uh, whoa. I did hear from him at one point, and he sounded well to me. Uh, he was... Uh, he had a new girlfriend, and he was uh, kind of, uh, you know... G getting a lot of attention for his extra history and stuff. So I don't know. Uh, he didn't seem in bad health to me, but uh, you never know. Maybe there's more than one John Baptiste. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll hear from him uh, uh, regarding that. But, uh, but he, like I said, he seemed okay. That, this was before Christmas, though. Oh, okay. So, I mean, so anything could happen. Uh, all I know is uh, he, he sent in an audio letter. We'll listen to it later. Thank you for writing in to us, Lynn. Hopefully you'll be back soon. Uh, we'll have to talk about this manuscript. Uh, I didn't know Rory was going to be mentioned in it. That's interesting. Um, I want to know what's in it. What else we got? Uh, here's another, okay, here's another one, um, from another friend of the show. Uh, this is a real nice one. Dear Jordan, Frank, and Scapey, uh, just heard the news about Rory from Tom, and I feel really terrible. I didn't know him all that well, but now that he's gone, I wish I had known him better, and that he'd found my work for him more satisfactory when I was trying to track down Frank Allen. Uh, sorry I couldn't respond to your request with an audio letter, but after a tough performance in Munich, I have lost my voice. I sincerely wish that both it and Rory Sinjin could come back, but sadly I know that only one of them possibly can. Slam Jackson. 
Well, that's that's a very nice letter from uh, Slam. Yeah, yeah, it's really uh, really nice and heartfelt. And I hope that Slam is doing well as an uh, uh, opera singer, and I hope his voice comes back really soon. Uh, now that is all we've got as far as letters. No, um, no, that's not true. What? That's not true. I I've never letter. What are you talking about? The letter I memorized. What? I memorized the letter. You had to memorize a letter. Do you remember? Oh uh, no, that was, I mean that was that was like that was ages ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah, but I still remember it. Come on, Dad. You gotta let me do it. I don't even remember what this letter was about. It doesn't matter. I do. I remember exactly what it's about because I know all of the words that it says. Uh, uh okay. Go ahead. What's the uh, what's the what's the letter? Okay, here's how here's how it goes. Hi everyone, Rory. I think you need therapy. I understand things may be bleak, but taking it out on other hosts, let alone the listeners, is not cool. I think you need a better attitude towards life. Granted, you have a lot of money, but there has to be something that makes you happy other than extra history readings. You need some soul searching to do. It took me five years to finally have what I have today. So maybe being mad at the world will find something inside of you that make you happy. Make a list between the pros and cons of your life. Not everything is as bad as you make it. Also, I like you on the podcast, but telling the listeners bad things means, like Frank Aaron said, that listeners will stop listening. Then no one will hear you're part of the show. So I just gave you a pro for your list. Uh, Frank, I think your positiveness towards the show is really nice. But I hope it isn't at Rory's expense. I also think Rory should get dating advice on Frank advice. It might help him to cheer up. Scapey, as awesome as you are... Oh, uh, okay, we can skip this part. What? Why? You you just... It just called you awesome. Yeah, that was a great part, but we can skip the next part, so... No, Scape, you have to read the whole letter. <sighs> Dad... You were already... It's already a really awkward letter. Read the rest. <sighs> Scapey, as awesome as you are, I do listen to you because you are also a positive person on the podcast. I do not think it was fair of you to take away Frank's show. Maybe next time, instead of taking away a show, you could do an awesome rock song, okay? Can't wait to hear the next podcast, Lauren. What does he mean, taking away your show, Frank? Well, the last, because I'm, you know, because when you went down to Washington, he played uh, uh, the second episode of Scape Debate instead of my show. Scapey, that's not very nice of you. Well, Dad, it's what I do. Yeah, it's what you do when you're bad. Well, no, it's what I do when I'm the king of the podcast. There's no king of the podcast, and if there is, it's me. You're the prince of the podcast at best. I'm leaving you in charge, but you have to be responsible. Dad, <sighs> responsible. For escape debate? No, responsible for the entire podcast, and you make sure that Frank gets to play his show. Dad! Escape, that is how it is. Look, let's move on from that part, because that's not the most important part. Um, But escape, stop being a douche. Lauren, thank you for writing in. Uh, Obviously, um, this letter, we read this a little late on the podcast, so uh, Rory died. Um. So he can't exactly make a list of pros and cons, uh, which is sort of a bummer because he would probably, I mean, he would have millions of things to put on the pros list if he lists every dollar that he had separately. Um, But regardless, uh, all that money couldn't uh, save his life. So there we are. Um, Frank, uh, she says you should give Rory dating advice, but yeah, obviously I'm not going to do that. He's he's dead. So I don't think anyone should date. I don't think anyone should date the dead. It's kind of a policy I have. I, I... I'm not in favor of necrophilia. I know some people uh, don't think it's 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 so bad, but I because it's victimless in the sense that the victim is uh, dead. But I I I think it skeeves me out, and I don't approve of it. So I think Rory should not be getting any dates now that he's dead. What about in heaven? Oh, okay. You don't believe in heaven. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I I definitely don't believe that Rory 
is in heaven um, because I don't believe in heaven. So not, nothing against Rory. If there was a heaven, that would be between Rory and um, you know God, which I would have to vow to destroy. Um, anyway, the, the, I don't believe Rory's in heaven. So sorry. Uh, heaven people um oh where was i going with that that's a really good question i think you just are offending everyone for no reason oh uh you, you might be right okay um here's what we've got we have got two new shows we've got by which i mean two new episodes of shows that we listen to we've got a new episode of lessons from the life of nathan van etten we have a new episode of annie italic girl reporter and i said there was going to be something special and uh, obviously there is no frank advice this week either because uh we are going to be playing the the second episode of rory's stories from another world if you recall when we did the competition for casting uh for recast in wax i forced uh, all three contestants to record a second episode so that i could play the second episode of the winner immediately upon their victory We've already apparently played Scape's second episode as well, even though he lost. And uh, tonight we're going to hear the, the second episode and apparently the last episode ever of Rory's stories from another world. But first, we'll, we'll listen to the two uh, new shows. And interspersed between them all, of course, the voice of our late friend, Mr. Rory Sinjin, talking about days in history. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin on WHRW Binghamton. On December 31st, 1954, radio mystery program The Shadow airs its last episode. The show, which debuted in 1930, drew a listening audience of some 15 million a week during its peak. The show featured a crime-fighting superhero, The Shadow, played by three different actors during the show's 25 years. Let's listen. Tonight on The Shadow, a climactic confrontation between our hero and his arch-nemesis, Rory Sinjin. <laughs> the Shadow knows. What do you know, The Shadow? You know, I was looking at the calendar here, Rory. Oh, yes? I realize the end of the year is coming up, and every episode I tell everyone about how much I know, and I lock up a lot of these people, and I think a little bit of it's brash, because I'm not a duly appointed legal authority, and I'd like to say I'm sorry. That's what I've been trying to tell you all this time. Yeah, but you've been kind of rude about it, so, you know, I've given a little bit. Maybe, maybe you could give a little bit, too. All right, well, I'm sorry I called you a poopy poop. What? I'm sorry. You called me a poopy poop? I'm sorry. You did what? You're going to jail, Sinjin! But you said you were going to make amends. Well, that was before you enraged me. And as a result of the Shadow's stubborn refusal to make amends for past misdeeds, the Shadow was cancelled. Opening up a free slot for this day in history on WHRW Binghamton. Thank you. But you don't even need to wait. We're already here. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And you're probably wondering, what happened to me, Rory Sinjin, since I was in that episode? After becoming the very first student in Binghamton University history to graduate with a degree in extra history, the field that I now dominate worldwide, I went on to receive full funding and a grant from the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies. There, I continued my studies of extra history and pioneered many new techniques of learning about history in other worlds and discovering other worlds through learning about history. After a while, of course, the school was bought and shut down by Frank Allen, who was trying to be vindictive. Unfazed, I went on to found the school, the Queen's Institute for Extra Historical Studies, named after the borough of Queen's in which it was. Eventually, of course, it did get taken over by the Queen of England and actually become the Queen Apostrophe S Institute for Extra Historical Studies, and I had to become a British citizen once again. It was around that time that Frank Allen went missing, and I ended up going completely bankrupt trying to find him for my friend Jordan. I lost my job at the Queen's Institute, I was deported to England, and for a time was quite miserable. 
miserable. But not to worry, now I am rich once again and working happily at the Hirohito Loveberger Institute for X-ray Historical Studies in the scenic Bronx, New York City. Now you might be wondering, do you now still hate Frank Allen for all the trouble he caused you? And the answer is, of course, no. We have made amends, as one should always do with one's enemies. If at all possible, please make amends. It will make everyone happier. Just as I, Rory Simpson, am happy that I have made amends with so many people in my life. My lovely girlfriend, June T. Loveberger, has given me a wonderful job at the Loveberger Hirohito Institute for Extra Historical Studies, and that is where I am, mending bridges left and right. In fact, I'm proud to say we've just accepted our first student, Mr. Jean-Baptiste Sanseraf, who I'm sure will be very happy to start at the school in the fall. And that's where I am now in history, here on Where Are They Now in History? on Cast and Wax. Lessons from the life of Nathan Van Etten. By Charles H. Berman, Daniel A. Schwartz, Mickey R. Reuschner, and Peter C. Bowers. Season 2, Lesson 3, Pets Pacify Nathan Van Etten. Pets are, well, you know, hairy, except for snakes, I guess. Here comes Nathan Van Etten. Who the hell are you? You sound like a girl. I'm a girl, Nathan. Who else would I be? A dude. Like, like the dude voice that I had in my head. Before you! Uh, Nathan, I've always been a girl. Help! Voice! I need you to get this other voice out of my head! Uh, Nathan, I've always been here. Are you okay? God, whatever new voice that thinks he's the old voice. Help me! How do I get this thing off? Uh, well, you know, Nathan, it's a dog collar. You're supposed to be able to remove it yourself. Well, Jane sure has some ridiculous ideas about role-playing games. This could easily be represented by a card! And there's not even any dice! Where's the rolling? I think she expects the rolling to come later, Nathan, eh? What kind of game is this where you don't figure out your attributes first? I really don't want to have to explain this to you, Nathan. Gosh! Do you think Jane is that desperate for a pet? I did hear her mention something earlier about her animal instincts. Uh, okay, Nathan. That sounds like you understood that. I'll tell you one thing. I am not eating dog food, Imes, of course, unless they come out with marshmallow fluff flavor. Nathan! Nathan! Oh, God, what am I going to do? Quick voice, hide me! How? Why? What? There you are, Nathan. Ooh, someone's been a bad boy. Who? As soon as I get this collar off, I will take care of him for you. God, Nathan! I meant you! Well, I I can't beat myself up for you, Jane. Well, I guess I could if I really tried. But I don't really want to try. Okay. I guess I'll have to do it for you. Will you be gone long? Jesus, you don't get anything, do you? When I tried to play Lonely Housewife and TV Repairman, you actually fixed the TV. Well, it wasn't really broken. It was just unplugged. Then you gave me a bill and left! And you never paid it! House calls aren't cheap. You stole the TV when I was trying to play Burglar with you. Well, I had to get repaid somehow. And Xena Warrior Princess was on. Nathan, you're supposed to have sex with me in the games. Really? How do you win? That is how you win. Wow. We're both really bad at these games. 
Oh, Nathan, you actually being bad at something is inconceivable to me. You're so much better when you're not concentrating. Like, you might not even have been paying attention enough to remember. Well, for you, Jane, I promise to concentrate on you much less from now on. Oh, Nathan, my sweet, thoughtful little pet. God, Jane! Are you really that obsessed with pets? Wouldn't it just make more sense to get a real one? Nathan, occasionally you just don't get it. Your obtuseness is much less endearing when it blocks my way to you. I'm gonna go leave and think about Nathan Van Etten. Well, I guess I'll go... Yow! Well, I guess I'll... Yow! Jane! 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 I, I think you forgot to take this off! Jane! Um, I think it's electrified. That is it, voice. I am definitely getting Jane a pet of some kind. I think I'll just go... Yow! Doesn't that hurt? Are you being sarcastic? No, why? Well, I see a pattern here. Every time I need an extra set of hands, one of you people can't help me. You people? You know, head voices? I don't have a head. Can't believe I'm stuck here with this collar on. How am I ever going to get this thing off? Okay, an ecto-cooler always helps me think. Ah! The kitchen, too, is off limits! Now it is time to panic! What am I going to do? Hello, I'm Susie Sancerre, younger girl reporter. And I'm Nathan Van Etten, currently under unintentional house arrest. Oh, okay. Well, I saw a very angry woman outside yelling, I can't believe he's really going to get a pet. God! So I figured out there must be someone inside who wants a pet, and I have six dogs with me. They're the most normal things to use as pets. Wow, this is just as lucky as charms! Or stripes! Those are cigarettes, which also have brand names. See? Wow! Well, that was kind of clever. You're right. I've been researching what to do with these dogs by walking around in a circle with them. I've had them for three hours now, which is a long time to study anything at once, so I'm an expert. Okay. I have them because somebody I don't know's dog had puppies, and he didn't want them. I know it's true because I saw the dog. I took a note of it because it was for a news story and I was the reporter. So now I have to find somebody to take six dogs. That makes sense. Since I'm a reporter, I know how to put stories together. So I put this story together. I have six dogs that I need to get rid of. You're the person inside the house that somebody inside of wants a dog. So now you have six dogs. Wow, but I only needed one. So now I have five dogs that I need to get rid of. You want five dogs? Oh, thank you. Dogs are widely considered very cute. Goodbye, Nathan Van Etten, dog collar wearing pet owner. Goodbye, new friend. Wait! Oh, the dog collar! Uh, I guess that's it. Nathan's trapped in a house with a dog. And a dog collar, which is ironic, I think. Ah. Lesson time, voice! What's the lesson, Nathan? Don't get so caught up in following somebody's line of reasoning that you don't ask them to remove your dog collar. Good call, Nathan. Wait, really? Well, now, I have this little guy. How you doing, little guy? What should I call you? Sancho? Tonto? Superboy? Mr. Breslin? Spock? Robin? Bogworth? Watson, Dan Quayle... None of those sound very good, Nathan. I know! Scoob! Really, Nathan? Yes! (laughs) What? What's wrong with Scoob? (laughs) Nothing. I guess we'll see you all for the next episode of Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten. Ha ha ha!
in that lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten. The voice was Sarah Diaz, Nathan was Mickey Weissner, Jane was Aaron Morrissey, and Susie Sanseraf was Cheryl Casey. Hello and welcome to this day in history on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On January 7th, 1785, Frenchman Jean-Pierre Blanchard and American John Jeffries travel from Dover, England to Calais, France in a gas balloon, becoming the first to cross the English Channel by air. This is amazing! I know, isn't it jolly good? Yes! So tell me about your American elections! Um, actually I'm English. Not really American at all. Okay, maybe I am American, but I don't really know much about it. I spend most of my time in England, on this fantastic balloon. This looks like a job for Captain Democracy. What can I do for you, Frenchman? Captain Democracy? Hi! I am the Frenchman! Do you not know your own nationality? You are making me crazy! Well, I'm confused. It's I... a croissant! Now, what can I do for you, Frenchman? Explain to me the democratic process in America! Well, it's relatively simple. A bunch of poor guys say who they'd like to run things for them, and then some rich guys make a decision in of it. Fantastic! So I just vote as I see fit! Well, no. In reality, there are incredible dangers associated with voting improperly. You should always be sure that you're informed about all of the issues before you cast your vote. What kind of dangers? I'm so glad I put on that rope! Yeah, have another croissant! <laughs> that man talks too much. He is very ignorant. Probably true. Probably true. Now kiss me, Captain Democracy! I'd we rather not! We should have direct voting! I have some democracy to spread over here. Away! Goodbye, Captain Democracy! Toodles! Fortunately, Captain Democracy did not go across the channel by air. Uh, he went back to England, so they did become the first, as we promised. They also became the first to vote fully informed, going on Captain Democracy's advice, and that was a good idea, so you should do it too. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But don't cast your ballot just yet. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. If you're like me, though, you're probably wondering what happened to Captain Democracy. Well, I'll tell you. He died of a heart attack. It was some 50 years or so later after that day in history that we just heard, and Captain Democracy was having just a, a hell of a time keeping up with all the things in politics. He was so busy. He was rushing around, flying all over the place, keeping people informed about democracy, telling people that they should keep themselves informed about democracy, and he missed one of the key issues in an election. He didn't even hear about it at all. He went to the polls that November, he cast his vote, and went he came out, he heard people discussing what they thought was the primary issue in the election, and he said, what? I've never even, I've never even heard of that. And he had a heart attack. There was the sound of, like, a simulated heart attack. Of course, I, I wouldn't know what it's like having a heart attack, but I, that's what I imagine one would sound like, sort of. Anyway, the point is, Captain Democracy had this heart attack because he was not able to keep himself properly informed about the election that he was voting in. So make sure that you keep yourself informed about the elections that you'll be voting in, and I will keep myself informed about where are they now in history. I'm Casting Wax. Annie Italic, girl reporter. By Pete Bowers and Charles Berman. Episode 2, The Postman Always Brings Frights. Dateline Thorpsburg from the desk of Annie Italic, girl reporter, high atop Henderson Towers in Center City in the office of the Thorpsburg Ledger Star Bulletin Journal, we bring you the news of the world. Commissioned by seasoned newspaper editor Eugene Seabrook, Annie Italic tracks the most thrilling events of our day with the determination of a bloodhound, voice notebook in hand for the moment of our big break. In the life of a reporter, you always need to expect the unexpected. For instance, I expected being a reporter to be exciting. And look what I got. Old guy still delivering mail? Old guy? That's my story? Exactly! An inspirational story for readers of all ages! And I like how you put it. 
What could be more heartwarming? What could be more uplifting? I want you to call it Old Guy Still Delivering Mail. We'll sell millions of papers with this story, touching people's souls by reminding them of their mortality in connection with paperwork. Are you serious? Of course. When have you known me to understand humor? Now get out there and heartwarm. I'll consider it as soon as my paycheck arrives. I've been waiting a week. Good, because it won't if you don't. Harvey, would you pinch me to make sure I'm not dreaming? All right. On the arm, Harvey? All right. Vivid dream, huh? Vivid nightmares, more like it. I've got to spend the day with the 96-year-old guy who's still doing his job at the post office. And make it a story? How can I make this go? Once upon a time, I wished I was dead. The end. I like it. About describes my experience here. Thanks for the encouragement. And you better like it. You'll probably be rewriting it later. Well, yeah. Once you fulfill the lifelong dream of sub-editing, there's nothing left to live for. Bye, Annie. See you after work. If you're good. Oh, hey, Susie. Oh, hi, Annie Italic, girl reporter. You won't believe what important exciting story I just got back from. Not if I can help it. Mayor's affair revealed. Mistress Poison's bishop. Get out of here. No, it's true. I researched all my facts and double-checked them like a good reporter. No, I actually meant get out of here. You're so funny, Annie Italic, girl reporter. You're absolutely right. I'd better get this to print quick. Eugene Seabrook, newspaper editor, is going to love it. Or at least I hope so. I put a whole lot of work into it. I really hope they solve that problem with nobody getting their copies of the paper so that they can read my story. Bye, Johnny Simmons, staff photographer. I hope you solved that problem you're talking about with your mother. It sounds weird. Bye, Susie. Harvey. You're John Simmons. Annie Italic. I think you're supposed to come with me and take pictures of the old postal worker. Pleased to meet you. Oh, hi. Y- yes, it's it's uh, John, actually. It's very nice to meet you. See, I don't have a lot of friends, and since I've been estranged from my family, I found it very difficult to make connections with people, so it'll be good to have someone here I know. All right, then. Glad you think the same way about it that I do. I, I mean, I mean, I mean... This is going to be a long day. Oh, God, yes. This newspaper work is so stressful. I can barely bear it sometimes. In at work early in the morning, doing things all day, and people are disapproving if you do a single thing wrong. Can you believe it? I got yelled at the other day for not developing the film. And how am I supposed to remember to develop the film again when I'm stressed from being yelled at in the first place? Does that even make sense? Yeah, something about that doesn't make sense. Come on. Let's get this over with. It only took 10 minutes to get to the post office. But with Johnny in the car, it felt like an hour. An hour that still didn't come out of the day I had to spend with the old post office guy. (sighs) When we got to the post office, we decided to take the investigative route of going in and walking up to the desk. But first, I had to wait in line for an hour. That did come out of my day with the old post office guy. You know... I kind of like this wait-in-line thing. There's something relaxing about standing for two minutes, then taking a step, then standing for two minutes, then taking a step, then standing for two minutes. I get it. Plus, everyone here is so angry for no reason. No reason at all. I feel like we have something in common. Don't worry. I don't think you have anything in common with anybody. Hey, can you believe it? I don't know. I don't know what it is yet. My package didn't come. They mailed it, and it didn't come. How can they do that? Just not deliver my package. Somebody ought to be fired. 
The police won't do anything about it. Okay. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this right here. I've got the tracking number right here. Wow. A tracking number. It's so... How do I put this? Boring. That package had my new heart in it. And what do you know? Suddenly not so boring. Do you have an email? I'm doing a story on a... Oh, I gotta go. I'll find you later for the story. Yes, I'm Annie Italic from the Legistar Bulletin Journal, and I'm here to... Because your mail hasn't come, I know. It's on its way. There have been delays due to the weather. Um, sunny? Yes. The motto doesn't say anything about sun swaying us from the completion of our appointed rounds. It's implied. But that's not why I'm here. You see, I have... Your mail has come? What's your secret? I'm still waiting for my paycheck. Well, actually, my mail hasn't come, but it's... Fine. Fill out this form. But that is not why I'm here! Huh. Weird. Is there a 96-year-old guy here? That guy looks pretty old. Halfway down the line, complaining about not getting his mail. Working here. A heartwarming 96-year-old that's still delivering mail. Oh, you mean Ambrose. You must be the reporter from the Ledger Star Bulletin Journal that was coming to interview Ambrose and the regional manager about how he's still delivering mail at 96. Wow, you catch on quick. Just out of curiosity, is it a crime to punch a postal clerk? Yes, jeez. How many times am I going to be asked that today? Come on back. We'll show them to you. Back in 15 minutes, folks. Line for people not getting their mail in the center. Line for... Ah, forget it. Hey, that must be him. I wonder how he could stand to be alive for so long. I'm glad you're here to make this fun. Yeah, here he comes. Yeah, on his way. Soon he'll be here. Right, right, right where we are. Any second now. Gotta be soon. I should have brought a book. Yeah, he's so slow that that he's not coming very fast. You should try doing stand-up, you know. Wow, you think so? I've always thought there must be something I'd be good at. Oh, it would be really hilarious. Oh, hello. You must be the reporter who wants to do a story about me. Yes. Any italic. So, what keeps you coming to work every day after all these years? Mm, pay. Okay, so how long have you actually been working here? Uh, two weeks. Uh, two weeks? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe more like two and a half, three. You start to lose track of these things when you get to be 96. Wow, what a story. Well, I think this interview is over. For the sake of not getting fired, I guess I'd better interview the manager. That's me, Glenn Phillips, post office manager, and never more excited to be in the news. Ambrose is one of our newest workers. Of all the people here, he's certainly part of our team. I see. And why did you decide to hire a 96-year-old exactly? We don't discriminate based on age. Okay, that doesn't exactly answer my question. Uh, what exactly attracted you to the post office, Ambrose? They were hiring. This gets more and more exciting. Hold on, I know this. This is one of those human interaction tone of voice things. You're using sarcasm. Genius. Thank you. Okay, well, 
I think I've learned all there is to learn about this story. And while I've got you here, Manager Phillips, I just couldn't help but noticing that nobody in the entire city has been getting their mail for two or three weeks. Any comment? Yes, I would like to make a formal statement. This interview is over. Come on, Ambrose. It's coming. Annie, what are you going to do? You don't have a story, which means I don't have a story to take pictures of, which means I'm a failure. Okay, while that's true, it doesn't mean we don't have a story. What do you mean? Listen, mister, it'll take at least five minutes for Ambrose to get over to you. In the meantime, I'm making my story about something to do with the post office other than the fact that you have an old guy working for you. Well, what, my illustrious career? No! The fact that nobody has been getting their mail, which means the post office has exactly zero function at this point. Damn it. What? You've discovered that nobody is getting their mail. I already said that. Does anybody around here listen? I would like to make another formal statement. What? Goodbye! Hey, come back! The manager ran off as fast as he could towards a door marked Danger! Black Hole! Fortunately, as fast as he could with Ambrose tagging along, was extremely slow. But unfortunately, the door marked Danger! Black Hole actually seemed to contain a black hole. As we held on to anything nailed down to protect our lives, I finally got my story. So, Mr. Phillips! Yes? Why exactly do you have a black hole in the post office? Well, I guess the jig is up. Not much chance you wouldn't notice the black hole was there, huh? Uh, any chance you could use a formal statement that there's no black hole here? Take a guess! Um, yes? No way! Believe you me, I'm not likely to forget literally having my soul sucked into a bottomless pit! Miss Italic, could you tell your lackey I'm not talking to him? Hey! No! Go with it! At least he's talking. Go on, Glenn. Can I call you Glenn? Of course! You see, the infinite volume of undelivered mail that our poorly trained personnel failed to handle started to pile up over the years. Eventually, it reached critical mass and created a black hole! You know that's physically impossible, right? Yeah, but what am I gonna do when I got a black hole in my hands? So I decided to get the slowest thing known to man, this 96-year-old postal worker, and throw him into the black hole, sacrificing his life to save the post office itself, and possibly, the world! You know that doesn't make any scientific sense, right? Yeah, but it was all I could think of! And now he's almost here! Let's see if it works! Johnny, get a picture of this! But then I'd only be preserving my worthless life with one hand! My camera! Well! Well, my notebook and Jimmy's camera were sucked into a black hole. But I think I still had a pretty good story. Well, I thought... I did. Eugene was another story, and not a pretty good one. So, let's get this straight. The black hole was sucked into the old guy. Right. Which means I asked you to go for a heartwarming and inspiring story about perseverance and nothing changing for decades, and you give me a thrilling tale full of civic intrigue that affects everyone in the city because the mail isn't being delivered. Fantastic. New discoveries unknown to science, and a nonagenarian self-sacrificed a life as we know it on this planet. Yes. You really don't know how to follow instructions. Harvey, 
rewrite the story to be about nothing happening for decades. How did you know? Already rewritten. Old guy, still delivering mail. Ah, now that's the front page. And Annie, you don't have too many more chances. Bar again? Meet me at Connolly's on 5th. Oh, that sounds great, guys. I'd love to talk about our troubles over a self-medicating drink or two. Let me get my confessions journal. I mean no hula hands on 9th. And that was how I didn't reveal to the world how black holes work completely differently than we thought, or why nobody's mail was arriving, and how my job got threatened. But I always like to think that every cloud has silver lining. We managed to avoid Johnny all night. In that episode of Annie Italic, Girl Reporter, the announcer was Mickey Weishner, Annie Italic was Angela Schwartz, Eugene Seabrook was Jer Kunrat, Harvey was Jordan Randall, Susie Sanserif was Cheryl Casey, Johnny was Pete Bowers, Heartless Man was Glenn Rice, Postal Clerk was Julia Adams, Ambrose was Jordan Randall, and Post Office Manager Glenn Phillips was Charles Berman. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. I'm WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On January 14th, 1942, President Franklin D. Roosevelt issues Presidential Proclamation Number 2537 requiring aliens from World War II enemy countries, Italy, Germany and Japan, to register with the United States Department of Justice. Let's listen. Mr. President, I don't think you should be going up the ladder. I can do it just fine. Mr. President, at uh, least let me hold the ladder for Eleanor you. Eleanor says I can do whatever I want. Now, unscrew my legs. No, Mr. President, please, Mr. President. Uh, uh, These legs once tap danced across the Nile River. Hey, Mr. President, I no want to register for nothing. Why are you coming up down and telling me why I gotta do this, eh? I no want to register. Just let me get this book from the top shelf hey. and I'll be glad to tell you whatever you want, No, chum. you don't get a no book. No. I shake you down. You don't, don't push the register. register. No! Oh, my useless legs! Mr. President, no! Mr. President, what do you want us to do? I no gotta register for nothing! Hurrah! First, pull my legs out of Don't my ears, you twitch! You have twitch. defeated the United States! Agurakeji, Junjoha, Chibakansaguruji, you gotta go, And yes, because President Roosevelt was not having someone support the ladder while he climbed it with his non-functional legs, he did fall to his death, and by to his death I mean he died at some point later, whether it was part of the fall or not. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binged. But now it can be known. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Casting Wax. And did Roosevelt die as a result of the fall? As you probably heard, Roosevelt's legs were stuck in his ears. One might think this would make life difficult for the president, but one would be wrong, because in fact it made his life way more simple. You see, with his feet stuck securely in his ears, they were no longer dangling around, getting into his way, and bungling him up. So what he made up for with freedom of movement, walking around on his hands and the like, he lost in not being able to hear a word that anyone said to him ever for the rest of his presidency and, of course, life. Roosevelt still wanted that book from the top shelf, and so he said aloud, I still want that book from the top shelf. I'm going to climb up there with my arms now that my legs are out of the way. He started climbing up, and his assistant said, Hold on, let me hold that ladder for you so you don't fall. He did not hear his assistant, and he climbed it before the assistant could hold on to it, and he fell again. And this time, his arms, too, got stuck in his ears. At that point, he was no longer able to move at all. He did not die as a result of that either, though. He died of a heart attack uh, shortly thereafter because he was very uh, surprised by a ghost or something like that. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Casting Wax. Rory's Stories from Another World. Hello, and welcome to Rory's Stories from Another World, the second episode, the celebratory victory episode 
which we'll play when I win Recasting Wax. But um, enough about that, because I've already won at this point. Thank you very much for voting for me, etc., etc. I have with me a very special guest, a fellow British person, uh, and almost as famous as me, I'm sure, Mr. Oscar Wilde. That's right. In my era, I am a British person. I call myself Oscar Fingalow Flaherty Wills Wilde. Oscar Wilde, for those of you who don't like saying all my middle names. That's right. I'm one of the most famous people named Oscar Wilde, and one of the top four most famous people named Oscar in the entire history of the world. You may have heard of me. I'm one of the greatest writers that's ever lived, and one of the most published. My books include The Picture of Dorian Gray, and also The Importance of Being Earnest, Lady Windermere's Fan, Salome, and many more. Many Many hits, blockbuster movies have been made of them. Oscar Wilde, that's right, one of the greatest writers you'll ever meet. Thank you very much for being, of course, on my podcast, on this show. Anytime, anytime, anytime to publicize myself is one of my favorite things to do. Did you know that I am one of the greatest writers that's ever lived? Uh, well, I was not uh, necessarily aware of that, but... Uh, well, we'll let me explain about... No, 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 hold on, hold on. We're, we're here to talk about uh, literature, so it's good that you... Uh, uh, briefed on it, um, but uh, as literature. What a wonderful well, no, hold subject! Hold on, hold on, hold on. What we're doing, as you, uh, I'm made you aware. You are going to tell me of your favorite work of classical literature, and then you're going to tell me the very brief version of of that story, and then I'm going to tell you that story from another world. Well, I, I think it's a, a several way tie between the importance of being earnest, the picture of Dorian Gray, Lady Windermere's fan, an ideal husband, a woman of no importance, and Salome. Uh, those well, are no, all. Uh, we, can, we can only. Pick one. Uh, and, uh, are those old books that you wrote? Yes. I'm the greatest writer I know. Well, uh, uh, all right. But, uh, well, which is the best? The best? Oh, well, uh, that's that's like asking me to choose between my books. That is exactly what I'm... If, if, if you could only get everyone to hear one story that you'd ever told, what story would it be? You know what I always say? Never ask a man to choose between what he likes, only between what he detests. All right, well, then should you tell your worst story? You know what I always say? Never ask a man to choose something he doesn't like. It's never done in good society. I need you to tell me one of your stories, please. All right, once upon a time, this is known as the Picture of Dorian Gray by me, Oscar Wilde. So there's this guy named Dorian Gray, and he's sitting for a painting by his friend Basil. And Basil paints him, and he looks really good, and then he puts the painting up in the attic. And uh, the, the painting keeps getting older, but he stays the same age. And then he gets into all sorts of wild debauchery and has a lot of fun. And uh, the moral of the story is, you can always have as much fun as you want, as long as you leave your baggage in the attic, shut it up away, and all the signs that anything is going wrong are just going to be in the upstairs room and you forget, forget about them. Uh, uh, really? That's the point of that story? Yeah, you didn't get that from my story. Well, that's not, that's not how... Well, it, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's your story, I suppose. Uh, authorial intent. Right, right. That's... I'm the authorial. I, I, I wrote the story. I, I decide what to take from it. I'm a, Remember, I'm Oscar Wilde. I live a wild, free life of enjoyment and aesthete and, and all that sort of thing. Buggery. Buggery, that's right. That's well, uh, Buggery, yeah. That's all, lots of fun. You want to try some buggery? No, uh, I'm fine. But fine... All right, so if that's your version of it, um, I, I, it's good to what know. It's my version of it. I'm the only version that's of it. I wrote yes. the thing. Well, that's not the only version of it, actually. Because Who else wrote a version of the picture of Dorian Gray? I'll Who tell else you. Who else is writing my story for me? I will tell you. There is another world where a different Oscar Wilde. There's no other Oscar Wilde. There I'm is. I'm the only Oscar Wilde. Listen, we're talking about alternate realities. There okay. is another reality where there's another you who is very much alike you, but he wrote a different picture of Dorian Gray. There's only one picture of Dorian Gray. If he wrote a different one, he's very not like me at all. Well, listen, I'll tell you, he did. And it starts the same way, for indeed, there is a person named Dorian Gray. I know there's a person named Dorian Gray. I wrote the book. But this Dorian Gray is not sitting for a painting. This Dorian Gray builds a time machine. Wait a minute! 
There is no such thing as a time machine. This is a fictional story. It's a fictional story. It's a fictional story. And in your fictional world that you, the other Oscar Wilde you, made up, this Dorian Gray is a genius inventor, and he invents a time machine. And he goes forward in time. You know, there's another book called The Time Machine by somebody else. Yes, that's a different one. That's a different one. That one involves Morlocks. Does in the other world, does this other one have a guy called Dorian Gray that gets painted? The Time Machine has a painting. That's a different story. This is about a, a, a gentleman named Dorian Gray. He invents a time machine. He goes forward in time. and I can go forward in time without a time machine. Further than you can go, because you die. I'm here right now. It's 2000 and... Uh, what year is it? 2000 it's 2012. Something. But he goes to 2014. And um, he goes and he meets... Uh, a person on the street whose name is Jack, and he's like, hello, uh, I'm, my name's Dorian Gray, uh, what's your name? And he goes, my name's Jack, how are you doing? And he's like, well, uh, I'm doing quite well, I, I've, I've come quite a great distance to see the world, uh, here I am in New York in 2014, uh, it's very lovely, I very, I very much fancy it, but I only wish I had some way to commemorate that I've come here. And Jack says, well, I have my- Is this an alternate world where there's no souvenir stands in New York? No, there is, but he doesn't have enough money. Why doesn't he steal some from one of the stands? That is dishonest. He's very honest, this Dorian Gray. He's a very- No, this is not, not the point at all. Dorian Gray- This is a different to... Dorian Gray. Why is it even called the same thing? Why is it- Well, because is it... I was, I was oh, just getting to that. The guy called Jack who goes to the future and has no, no money. No, no, Jack goes to the future. Dor- Jack is from the future. Dorian Gray goes to the future. And Dorian Gray gets to the future and he says, hello, Jack. And he does the speech that we just said. But here's the part. Jack says, you don't have a commemorative uh, thing. You can't afford anything at the shops. I'm not going to lend you any money, that's for sure. But uh, I do have my camera with me. And because I'm, you know, a retro hipster, it's a Polaroid from back in the day. And I have some of the very rare Polaroid film that... Wait a minute, he's a retro hipster. So he has a camera that automatically takes a Polaroid picture and develops it on its own. Uh, that's super futuristic. How is that's that That's super retro? futuristic to you, but for us it's retro. So, so wait a minute. Why would he want to have something that's old-fashioned and retro? Because it's a hipster thing. Why? What's a hipster? Hipsters are people who... Uh, okay, if they, 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 they dress in, a, in an off-kilter way. Well, that's the right way to dress. Off-kilter, extravagant, strange sorts of things that don't well, look normal. That's the th- There you go. So you're basically a hipster. But I'm, I'm not retro. I'm, I'm up to date. No, you're not up to date to 2012. So now... Now I'm a hipster. Yes. Well, what do I have to do to be a hipster? You're already doing it. Look, this is, but this is my point. Jack takes out his retro Polaroid camera and click, he takes a picture of Dorian Gray. Now, this is the titular picture. This, this is, is a titular picture. Th- yes, it is. This is the titular picture of Dorian Gray. And so Dorian Gray says, thank you. you know, the eponymous ta. picture of Dorian Gray. It's an eponym? It's an eponym. If you say. The point is, Dorian Gray takes the picture of Dorian Gray, not by taking it with a camera, but rather takes it physically from Jack, who took it with the camera. And he, he grabs the picture and he says excellent is a picture of me dorian gray uh, and in the background you can see you know the statue of liberty and the empire state building and the, everything like that all at once it's a very well positioned shot the point is uh, you can see that all and so he grabs it and says this is perfect this will show all of my friends back home that i went to the future so he gets back in his time machine he goes back in time he goes to his friend basil he says basil i know you're a painter and i know you paint pictures but this is a much more realistic picture it's a photograph picture of me, Dorian Gray, and Basil says, well, but does it does it age for you? This seems like a needless diversion into time travel. I'm not sure why we were time traveling in the first place. That's we're just going to go back to have a picture with Basil. He could have just painted the picture without having to time travel. No, As we, one we, of the greatest writers yeah, of no, all time. We're not, we're not, you, you don't understand. There's a, twi- there's a twist here. There's a twist here. So, oh, right. so Basil twi- says, you know, I could do a better picture than that, and my picture will age for you. And Dorian Gray says, I don't believe it. This is already a better picture. Don't bother. Don't waste your time, old man. 
man. This is fuddy-duddy stuff. That's even so long ago, it's not even retro anymore. You're not going to even be a hipster if you paint things. That's ridiculous. I Wait want- a minute. So if you paint things, you can't be a hipster. It's too long ago. It's too long ago. It's either too far back or it's too forward thinking. It doesn't work. The point is... What's the right level of all the time ago to be a hipster? Polaroid cameras. Polaroid cameras, which are the future for me. For you, but not for you now. Right. If you're here now, it's the past for you. Okay, so the the level of time when there was Polaroid cameras is older. Well, I'm before that. I'm not a hipster then. Well, perhaps. I'm totally not a hipster. All right, fine. You're not a hipster. The point is, Oscar Wilde, I'm telling you about the picture of Dorian Gray. So Dorian Gray says, Basil, whatever fuddy-duddy old painting you're going to do is not going to be as good. Just put your magical non-aging stuff on this photograph. He has magical non-aging stuff. That thing yeah, was your story. You told me I did. never wrote about magical non-aging stuff. He just did it and it worked. Well, then he just did it and it worked. So he said but, but Basil just told him if he painted a picture he wouldn't age. Well, I didn't bother explaining why that happened. Well, I'm it's explaining just... it in this version. This version where you did explain it and you said, here's why it worked. Basil said, no, I'm not going to make you not age if you're, if you're not going to appreciate my painting. And Dorian Gray was furious. So he smashes Basil over the head, ties him up, brings him to the royal scientist. There's a wait, wait a minute. The royal scientist isn't a possession. In this world, it is the royal science council. I'm sorry, the royal. So science extra council. history, you'll just make up stuff so it's the worst story. No, this is a different world. world where no, this is a different world that I'm literally reading it out of a book. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me. That's... There's another world where there's another Rory Sinjin who has a copy of Oscar Wilde's picture of Dorian Gray in his hands, and he's opening it and slowly paging through is it. Is there anything and you I'm can... looking into that world and just reading it off the page? You're looking. You, wait, you have extra special vision that you can just look into another world right now. Essentially. Wait, wait, what's the difference between actually and essentially in this case? There is an essence of which is true. I don't think you can at all. I think you're just... Wait, is there anything you could make up that wouldn't be true in another world? Yes. What? Is, I, can, I can't do that because that would be bad. What would happen if you did it? I would get stripped of my license. Look, where, where I was going with this was, they take Basil to the Royal Science Committee and, they say, and Dorian Gray says, you know, your majesties or your honorables... Your honourable scientists of the magisterial... Well, I thought there was only one royal scientist. Science committee. It's a committee, I said. Oh. So, your honourable majesties of the science committee. Look, the point is... This is this gen- another world where Oscar Wilde doesn't remember where he wrote about one scientist or a committee? No, this is the same committee. Look, the point... There's a, there's a head scientist who is the minister of science. A phrenologist. Well, perhaps. The point is, him... And he has other scientists who work right. for him. So he goes, Mr. Minister of Science and all sub-scientists who work for Mr. Minister of Science, I have brought to you this painter who claims he can paint a picture whereby... Why can Dorian Gray just walk into the Royal Committee of Science and show him... He's a paint- famous scientist. He Dorian a- Gray is a famous scientist? He built a time machine. Wait, he just built it earlier in the book and didn't publicize it to anybody. But he obviously had to be well-known in science circles before he just spontaneously produces a, a, a time machine. Wait, you have to be well-known in science circles before you invent a famous scientific invention? How do you get well-known then? How does it ever happen to anybody? Just by being brilliant. Look, this is what happened. Well, that's how I do everything. I'm exactly. Brilliant. I'm not even a scientist. How did you become well-known for, for famous, wonderful works of literature? Well, first I started dressing like a writer and acting like a writer. That is what, that is what Dorian Gray did. He started dressing like a scientist and acting like a scientist, and then he became a scientist and so eventually he was so good at pretending to be a scientist that he was able to build a time machine everyone knows him in the science circles and they say Dorian Gray of course how's the time machine coming and he says well I actually have it done but that's not why I'm here I do have a picture from the future see uh, prove it but that's not why I'm here I'm here because Basil this no good Nick says that he can paint a picture whereby the picture will age and I will not and yet he will not relinquish 
that ability to me. He will not explain scientifically how it works. We're going to need to do experiments. So the science committee and Dorian Gray working together. Wait, why don't they pin him down about the time machine? Aren't they more curious about that than some guy's obviously nonsense claims about a painting? Uh, well, I'll tell you. I, I was leaving that part out for speed, but one of the, the sub-science scientist minister sciences persons says to the, the minister of science, I'm sorry, uh, my lord, he says he's finished the time machine. Shouldn't we talk about that first? And the Minister of Science says, Well, that's an interesting thought, but here's my answer to it. What would you prefer? Jumping forward into the future and seeing what it's like? Or living all that time and not aging at all? And the one said, Well, I, I see your point. Let's get on this. So wait, wait. Science works by saying, Which is better? Let's ignore the other one? No, wait. that's not, no. That's just which one. Are, they, they only have so many hands. Why are know? there a whole committee then? Why don't they have subcommittees in the committee? That's ridiculous. They do need to have a subcommittee. He's already finished the time machine. He has proof. He has a photo of Dorian Gray in the future. The don't point they is, investigate the proof or nothing? They, you could see it with your own eyes, man. Look, here it is, a picture. I don't see anything. With it. No, uh, in, in the, the story, I could see it with my yes, own eyes. Yes, exactly, right. of course. So they say, all right, Basil. They, they shackle him. They give him his paint. They brought all his equipment, his painting equipment. They said, now, paint a picture of this dog. No, actually, that's later. First, they say, paint a picture of this tsetse fly. How do you paint a picture of a tsetse fly? You just would have to dot the canvas with one little fleck of paint. It's a close-up. It's a close-up. They have a magnifying glass, and he paints a... Look, the point is, listen, he paints a picture of the tsetse fly, and the tsetse fly lives days and days. It doesn't die, is the point. It just continues living. And meanwhile, the painting is, you know, shriveling up, and uh, it's a disgusting, rotting fly. But the fly itself is just flying around. Oh, this is wonderful. Give me some more fruit. I'll have a... I'll have everything. Wait, the fly is talking now? That's even more incredible than when they painted. No, that's, the fly's not talking, the fly's thinking. They've invented telepathy machines. That's how the Minister of Science rose to power. Why is the other universe, Oscar Wilde, throwing in all these needless and divergent inventions that have nothing to do with the story because but are impossible a, to believe in the narrative? he's a science fiction author. Oscar, they call him, his nickname was Oscar Wilde Imagination, you see? So, the celebrity machine is making them realize the fly is happy, the fly is living. Eventually, they just squash the fly. They're like, this is not important. We don't want an eternal fly. That was this conscious thinking being fly now that they squashed. That's like murder. It had thoughts that they could discuss with it. There are other flies. They're all fine. Look, the point is... Oh, so I could just murder you and you'd be no, dead and there's no. other people. So We're all, all right. people. Would anybody miss you if you died? Yes, people would miss me if I died. There's there's lots of people in the world, but we're not allowed to kill people. We are allowed to kill animals. We are allowed to... I mean, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't. But we're allowed to. Look, the point is... So if I... I can just go out to my friends and kill their pets and kill their cats and... No, no. I'm, tr I'm just telling you what happened in your book. All right, so they painted the titi fly. It didn't die. They killed it. He painted a goldfish. It lived for a long time. They didn't even feed it but it lived anyway all sorts of things like that so then they're going okay well this is clearly working this basil gentleman is a painter who they painted fruit in a bowl the bowl never rotted the, in the painting rotted wait a minute when does a bowl rot not the, the the fruit in the bowl oh the fruit well, in right the bowl then. like a bowl full of fruit the the painting of the bowl full of fruit rotted but in real life they picked up the apple and they would eat it and they'd be like this is delicious well that's why it didn't rot why they ate it already. No, they ate it when it should have rotted. They, they painted pictures of milk that they left out 
in the heat and it didn't go sour, but in the in the picture you could see that's disgusting. But you could just pick it up and drink it. It's, it's so this is a book about painting and everyday objects just over and over again. No, this is this is their experiment. They are scientists and they observe all of this and they say, let's see how this is done. And um, they eventually discover how it was done. Okay, how was it done? Because in the in the good version they don't care and they just get to the story. The good I wouldn't part. say they don't care. I'm sure everybody cares. They everybody would like to live forever. Sure. Right. So um, here's what happened. Wouldn't you like to live forever? Well, I I'm doing pretty good so far. All right. Well, so they discover that the trick is uh, in the specific brush he's using. Because they give him another brush, and he paints the milk, and the milk sours, you see. I'm glad there's another thrilling scene of milk painting. And milk souring, more importantly. Look, the point is, they realize it's a certain brush that the, the bristles have aligned in just such a way that they open a portal into a dimension full of just pure energy. Wait a minute. I'm not a scientist, but what does a dimension of pure energy mean? What it is is, I will, you know, I'm happy to explain, because I read the book, so I know everything about how it works. What it is is, imagine if you were a glass of milk that gets left out I've imagined long. that several times already today. And it gets left out for too long. I've imagined that all as well today. And it sours. Yes. And there's like a film on the top of it a film you know film yes that's our world is the film okay the world of the book really i should say and underneath that film is the larger mass of milk which is only reflected by the film outside of it and that is the underlying energy universe into which this brush tapped and so what he would do by painting a picture with this amazing portal of a brush he would be painting a picture and linking that picture up with the actual object in that universe energy as though one were connecting the the in in the metaphor in the extended metaphor what it is is the the painting is your lips right and the 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 portal that is being created is like a straw and you're sticking it into a certain part of the milk and you're going sucking and it goes right through you see no but it's it's hard to argue against this because it it's uh, that's how it works all right. And to be honest with you, that's probably how it works in your book as well. But you just didn't explain it. Probably. But I am explaining it because this is in this world where you are Oscar Wilde imagination and you, you know, came up with this. So, all right. So they discover this. And um, yes, where was I going with that? Right. Did you read this book? Yes, of course. How long ago? It, it was just, I'm, I'm reading it as we speak. It's just, he's turning the pages very slowly. Look, the point is, so they discover that that's the, that's the thing. And the, 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 the minister of science says, well, now that we know this, we, first of all, we don't need Basil. They execute him. Wait a minute. Why would you introduce a character just to have him invent the thing and then explain it and then die by executing suddenly without developing the character at all? It is a turning point in the book because this is when everything changes. The minister executes Basil. So it becomes a good book now. It was always a good book. He executes Basil. So this is when it becomes a bad book? This is when it becomes a book that is going in a different direction. They execute Basil and they say, from now on, every single person who is part of the British government or is important in any way will get their picture painted and therefore will never die. So they have a, a fleet of painters and first of all the painters paint each other's portraits so that they can work forever uh, as slaves. Second, 
the king, and, you know, and what? the ministers of... What, what, what? Wait a minute. The Petras just paint each other's portraits so they can be slaves? Who would decide to become a slave? No, they do that because otherwise they're going to get murdered. They'll be executed if they don't, you know. It's by threat of execution. So then the minister of science gets his picture painted and all of the ministers of science. And then, of course, Dorian Gray gets his picture painted and um, he still has the photograph from the future. But he's like, well, uh, you know, for the sake of living forever, I'll do it. And so everyone of any import in Britain gets painted so they never die. Now, here's the thing. Uh, in addition to making it so you never age, you never anything. You never anything. So they, they, they paint pictures of all the, the soldiers, and the soldiers will go out and fight in wars, and they'll get shot, and there'll just be a hole in the painting. Like, it's fine. They don't, it doesn't hurt them. And so they take over the world. Britain... The British Empire takes over the world, rightly so. Well, sure. Well, they were. That sort of makes sense with what Breton's been doing. But uh, why? Uh, why is? Yes. What is the point of this book? It it doesn't give a lesson about anything. It, with we, the other book tells you how great it is to be a hedonist and live a great life while the the painting takes the brunt of everything. This tells you if you paint a painting, you become a slave and you get taken over by Breton, and it gives them the power to. Uh, enslaved people it's a depressing message why would you even tell this story Listen, and why would you go to the future in the beginning what, it's not over yet i said that was where it turns i didn't say this where it turns to the end oh you didn't well, turn into an ending all right so uh where was i oh right so they take over the world they owe it all to dorian gray everybody knows it he's like um a celebrated figure uh-huh. like the most famous he's they love him at all the parties you know they love him at all of the galas well and, sure i made dorian gray is a fun character that everybody he is likes. still a fun character that everybody likes and he invents lots of wonderful things and eventually he says well hold on I have a question. Now that I've got this painting of myself, right, and it's going to age, yes, now it looks all old, but what if I give the painting plastic surgery? Does that mean it will you, change? You can't give a painting plastic surgery. You just cut the painting. And it's the a metaphor. It's cut. a metaphor. So he says, what if I touch it up? What if I touch it up with the with the brush? And they say, well, I don't know. We never tried that. So they try it. First, they try it on a tsetse fly. Why are they trying painting the painting anyway? If it doesn't change the, the person it doesn't get older anyway what well, doesn't matter if you change the painting why are they even trying because that? dorian gray well here's why because as much as dorian gray was a hit at all the parties people would say hey let's see what he looks like today and uh, he looks the same because he can't ever change what sort of people are going to these parties the fashionable people let's see how much older he is no no, no not how much older is he. like what what hairstyle is he wearing he can't oh, change his hairstyle no from the paint. it's in it's stuck in the paint when they come at him with the scissors they go cut cut it just cuts the hair of the painting so he can't he can't even really change his clothes he's stuck he in the same change his clothes no if he changes the clothes, it changes the clothes of the painting. Can't, so is he very smelly then? You can't. No, the painting is very smelly. Look, it, or it looks like it's very smelly. You can't actually smell into the world. But the, the most important thing in the world is changing your clothes. Well, What's he doesn't he do it. I know. So that's why he's like, listen, is there a way I can repaint the painting with different clothes so that I will be fashionable and be able to set trends yet again? Like I used to do with my time machine. Come on. And so they say, all right, let's try. So they try it with a tsetse fly. How could you put claws on a tsetse fly? That's exactly it. They painted the tsetse fly. And then they said, well, now let's paint him with some knickers. Okay, <laughs> so what happened then? No, I mean, it worked. The, the, the fly had knickers. And they were like, well, that's perfect. And then they did try, they did a bunch of other tests. I'll skip those. Um, but eventually, oh, yes. Oh, so there's some that were not interesting. Like there was ones that were less interesting than the painting of rotten milk. Look, the point is, yes, it worked. Eventually, Dorian Gray got one of 
the slave painters and he said paint me this outfit this is what I basically want it to look like it worked he looked 100% awesome and um, you know then he would do different hairstyles you know different this and that and eventually he said well here's the thing I mean you know could I just what would happen if I just had a different face you know could I just make my face different and they were like my goodness why would you want that and he's like well I'll be honest with you I've been living the life of a playboy loved by everyone for a long time now hundreds of years and uh, you know I'm, I'm just you know jolly sick of it so I kind of want to go under the radar, undercover, you know, take on a new name, etc., etc. They said, all right, well, fine, uh, let's try it. Uh, paint you a new face, there you are, ba, ba, da, ba, da, ba. Go, do you, you, now you, there you go, Dorian Gray goes, no, don't call me Dorian Gray, that's not my name anymore, but I'm not going to tell you my name because I don't want you to know. Bye, I'm, I'm off. He goes off, he moves to America, changes his name to Jack. You Jack, see, You okay. see where this is going, you see where this is going? Becomes a hipster. Oh! Gets a camera, meets himself. Takes, says, I've got a picture for you, picture. Takes a picture of Dorian Gray. And then he takes the picture back, and then it has nothing to do with the rest of the story until he takes it and gives it to himself. It, it was the inspiration for the whole thing. But here's what happened. But wait. No, hold on, there's a twist! There's a twist, I tell you! Okay, what's the twist? Uh, the twist is, um, he shoots himself. That's not a twist! That's Did a, you see it coming? No, but not everything you don't see coming is a twist. It was a twist because you were thinking, well, he's just going to give himself the picture and send himself on his way. But instead, he shoots it. He gives here you go. Here's the picture. Bang! Shoots okay, himself. wait. I'm going to start a story. No, I'm not Once done with this story. Wait, no. Yeah, Once upon a time, there was story. an elephant. Did you see the elephant coming? Of course, it's large. But if you hadn't, would it have been a twist? Look, no. the point is, he shoots himself in the stomach. And, and as Dorian Gray is lying there next to Jack on the ground, where Dorian Gray is dying, Jack says, oh, you know, you know, it turns out living forever sucks. That is the moral I've learned. So I'm try- I'm stopping it from happening. I'm killing you. Therefore, no one will live forever. Much better that way. The end. Wait a minute. That's the end. What am I waiting for? You're not waiting for anything. Right? Why did he become... This story doesn't make any sense. None of it. There's, there's all these diversions. The whole thing. None of it makes any sense. This is far. This is. Ask me any question, and I will explain it to you. Okay. What is the moral of this version of the picture of Dorian Gray? That's easy. The moral is it's not actually good to get to live forever because you know it's the the finite is what gives us meaning. Well, that's a sucko moral. Well, that's what that's what this Oscar Wilde wanted to say. Well, that Oscar Wilde's boring. This world Oscar Wilde is way better. Listen, everybody out there, don't read the alternate world version of Oscar Wilde. Well, they can't. He's... I mean, they're not in the other world, but they can listen to it, and they just did. Okay, so there's no more message. I can't say just don't go back and re-listen again. Well, you could, but don't, because I want them to. All right, well, read the real version of the picture of Dorian Gray, and also everything else I wrote. I'm Oscar Wilde, the world's most flamboyant and best writer in history. Now, look. It's just another world. It's just another world, and it gives an equal and opposite perspective. You're saying this world is a, this one's about go crazy. This one is about don't go crazy. You see. So every anything good in this world, you will give the alternative where it's tra- ra- crapo. No, that's not new. No, that's just coincidence that that's how this one worked out. Oh, so okay. So everybody, now you know this is the program where anything good you can take it here, and you'll hear the version where what if it wasn't quite so good? No, the, I I also think the other world. I'll, I'll have you know, in the other world, where the other Oscar Wilde wrote it, what happened was this. A brief author bio, that Oscar Wilde became incredibly famous based on this book because the real Minister of Science read it and said, is that possible? And turns out it was. And that Oscar Wilde got a picture painted of him and he's still alive today. Oh, well, good for him. At least he did one thing right, which is to live far past your normal expiration date into the present day. All right. Well, so then there we are. So this has been uh, Rory's Stories from Another World. With me, Oscar Wilde, greatest writer in the history of time. And it's just the first 
of many, or the, well, rather the second, I guess, of many, many, many upcoming episodes when we, of course, win Recast and Wax. So tune in to us and many upcoming episodes. Well, no, no, I'm sorry, not you, many upcoming episodes. Wait a minute. I'm the greatest writer in the history of time. You wouldn't want to have me on Rory Stories from another world. Not to every time. how you would be better rewriting this to be a good book. I just showed that. Right, you wouldn't want my input on the other works of literature, how you can be made better. But my version was better than yours, I think. No! My version is the, the classic work of literature the greatest novel in the history of time oh i mean mean, when i say my version of course i mean the version i read which was also your version but just from a different way right so you you're saying you don't want the perspective of a great writer a genius well last time i had a janitor on and you improved so much over a janitor well thank listen i appreciate your excitement but we have a different person every time look it doesn't matter thank you all for listening thank you for being here mr wilde thank you for having me here and adieu Welcome to This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin. This is WHRW Binghamton. Did you know that on January 21st, 1793, one day after being convicted of conspiracy with foreign powers and sentenced to death by the French National Convention, King Louis XVI is executed by guillotine in the Place de la Revolution in Paris? Ah, René, I think I will lift up this guillotine so we can drop it on the neck of the former king of France. Ugh! Ugh! Ugh. You idiots! Do what? not live with that! Listen to your king before you kill him! I will show you the proper way to murder me! No, I will just use my back to lift up this heavy metal guillotine. Then you will be the one in pain! No, you will. I'm about to execute you. I will feel nothing! I will be dead, you idiot! Oh, that's true, but I would rather be alive and feeling pain, such as the pain I feel when murdering the former king of my country. I know, <laughs> as a loyal Frenchman, I feel great pain destroying the former head of state of the country, but we will relieve the head intact and sever it from the body. Here, I lift this heavy metal guillotine with the strong back I have as a loyal Frenchman. Ugh! 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 Oh, my head is rolling away and my back is in excruciating pain because I helped those idiots lift the bread. Oh, you're false. You did not have to lift it and now your backs are hurt. It has a rope. There is a blade. Oh, you're right. I should have learned how to operate the guillotine before I became an executioner. Also, I should have lifted it not with my back, but with my legs, because my back is now in great pain. Do we have French chiropractors in this century? Absolutely not. See, I told you you are stupid. Quiet, you are dead. Which is, of course, the story of how the French national anthem became Ow, my back hurts, ow, my back hurts, all because of the improper use of a guillotine and lifting with the back, not with the legs. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But attendez-vous dans la patrie. My name's Rory Sinjin and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And I'd like to give you the tale of what happened after that execution to the executioner. He went to bed the night of the execution and he was visited by three ghosts. The first one arrived and said, I am the ghost of executions past. I know you'd probably think I was one of the people you executed, but I'm not. I'm just sort of the spirit of all the executions that have happened. It's a different kind of thing. That's why I still have a head. Anyway, I am here to show you executions of your past. Look, the first time you ever executed someone, you lifted the guillotine. Uh, again, strange because that's not how you operate guillotine, but you lifted the guillotine with your back and you didn't mind so much at that time but look then you did it again and again and again and again and again and you see how it all builds up lots of times you lifted the guillotine with your back and now you have lots of back pain do you understand and then another ghost came and he said I'm the ghost of executions present and I'm showing you look you're still doing it the wrong way and even though you learn the lesson with the king you're still basically doing it wrong you're trying to do it the right way but then you go oh it's hard the rope I don't understand and you still lift it the wrong way and you do it wrong and your, your back is just going to get worse I warn you and then the ghost of executions future shows up and he says look you're going to be so far 
uh, in the future, you're going to be so in so much back pain that you can't lift the guillotine at all, and you're like, ugh, the guillotine is too heavy for me, I can't do it, and all these people are not getting executed, and eventually someone comes along and says, why aren't you executing people? You say, I can't lift the guillotine, and they go, you know what? Off with your head. Off with your head, sir. And then they kill you. And that's going to be a problem for you, don't you think? And the executioner said, oh my god, I'm so frightened by the prospect of this that he had a heart attack and he died. It's very unusual. Anyway, the point is, he learned a lesson just before he died, but the lesson he learned was, don't lift things with your back, lift things with your legs, lift things with your legs. And if it's a guillotine, learn how to operate it, please. My name's Rory Singer, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, yeah, we have a whole bunch of audio letters that I want to get to, so I'm just going to jump right into them. Um, let's see what we got. Um, this first one, we got in a, a special uh, message from uh, from President Byron Samuel. This is President Byron Samuel's United Offense, Crimination Defense, yeah, it's the, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I, well, I heard about Gary Sinjin dying, and it was a very misfortunate thing, and I... I just wanted to uh, uh, crescent my premeditations about all this, and uh, I remember the time I, I met uh, Gary. He was he was telling me about uh, extraordinary history, and I, I, I you know, I, I had a plan. I was all gonna execute with him, where uh, we I was gonna eliminate history, because if you ask me, some of the worst things that's ever happened. Uh, throughout time has been in history. And I just think if we totally eliminated that, well, the world would be a much uh, reproved place. So there'd be no more uh, murders, no more killings, and and also no more uh, no more assassinations or nothing like that. And so they, it was the plan I was going to carry out with Gary Sinjin. And, well, uh, maybe, if, maybe if one day we do carry it out, he won't die. It's very heartfelt, and it's true if, if we got rid of... History Rory would still be with us. Uh, we got another one from uh, from a M Roma. Hello, this is uh, Matt Roma, I'm, uh, one of uh, one of Rory's uh, uh, lawyers, part of his legal team. It was a real great uh, pleasure to, to correspond with Rory and to, to talk with him, and uh, to uh, have his business at Roma and Roma. And I'm I'm very sad that he's dead. I I was uh, looking forward to him staying alive so that we could continue enjoying his business. So. He's someone that I'm, you know, if I knew him better, that I would miss. Here's one. Uh, here's one from somebody who did know Rory pretty well. Um, his parole officer. Hello, this is Officer Tim Dofficer. Uh, officer Dofficer. I was Rory's parole officer uh, while he was in the middle of his uh, legal scandal, as it were. And I've just received the news uh, about his unfortunate passing away, and uh, I wanted to express my deepest condolences to the entire cast of Cast and Wax and to let them know how awfully sorry I am to hear about this, but uh, take into consideration that there probably is another world where Rory didn't have a heart attack uh, and maybe had some kind of weird adventure with ghosts and uh, people that sounded like his friends and he's still alive and didn't get any, any kind of legal trouble whatsoever. My condolences. Uh, we got, we got, some, we got some, some strange ones from some people who only were on the show once or twice. We got one from... Dr. Vernon Jones. Guten Morgen, this is Dr. Vernon Jones, uh, transmitting from my planet and the stars. I am uh, surrounded by my uh, dozens and dozens of Mormon wives. Just like to say to Rory Sinjin that uh, if you are a Mormon, I am welcoming you to the coalition of Mormon planet owners. Whatever you call your planet, I would like to send you a peaceful message from... 
Jupiter 2. And if you are not a Mormon, haha, sucks for you. I have got planet because uh, I am a Mormon and uh, screw you, infidel. So this is, uh, this is Vernon Jones saying uh, either welcome or go to hell to Rory Sinjin on the event of his death. We even heard from celebrities, Wally Russman, uh, uh Sent one in. Yes, hello. This is Wally Russman from uh, Pilot Talk with Wally Russman. Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman. I'm Wally Russman. I just heard about the death of Rory Sinjin, and I think this is a moment for all of us to think as Americans about how wonderful it is when foreigners die. And I think it should be our mission to cause as many foreigners to die as possible. Because once Rory Sinjin is dead, all the pro-British, anti-American, anti-revolutionary sentiments that he's been transmitting and spewing out, propagandizing us with for years, have have gone away. And you know, every every listener that tuned away from Politalk with Wally Russman, that's me, Wally Russman, wasn't getting the pure, unadulterated, 100% truth that I was giving out, was not having the opportunity to be a real, true, patriotic, thoroughbred American. So, Rory Sinjin... You might have been good for your own country, but you were sure as shooting not good for this one. So, uh, this is me, Wally Russman, from Politalk with Wally Russman. Listen to Politalk Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman saying, Well, Rory Sinjin, it was nice knowing you, but uh, it's nicer now that you're dead because you're a dirty foreigner. And uh, some strange ones. Uh, for some reason... Uh Harry Wilson and and Hank Fallon were together, and they recorded a message together. Hello, this is uh, Harry Wilson, the two janitor. And uh, this is um, Hank Fallon from Hank, Frankly Speaking, and we were... Uh, we were just uh, here because... And, and, and by the way, this is... Uh, you might remember me from Harry Wilson advises you, Harry Wilson buys you lunch, Harry Wilson brushes your teeth for you, and Harry Wilson feeds the homeless and gives them toothpaste. Uh, we, what we wanted well, to do... We, we really wanted to just... We have a message about Rory Sinjin dying and how relatively sad it probably makes Frank, which makes us uh, sad. Well, it's a lesson. I would say it's a lesson. Probably a it's a lesson for all of us because Rory died of a heart attack, and you know how you get a heart attack? Well, I never tried to get a heart attack. You, you get it from high cholesterol, which is from a lot of fatty foods, and, and if you let food sit in your mouth... Why would you let food sit in your mouth. The longer you let food stay between your teeth, the longer you are eating that food, the more it goes into your arteries. I don't unfollow the logic of that at all. I'm telling you, like, if you have food stuck between your teeth, if, instead of removing it with a toothbrush, if it's just sitting there, it's constantly, little bits of it are being swallowed. If there is, is fat or, uh, or plaque in that food, you're gonna get a heart attack. He died because he didn't brush his teeth frequently or constantly enough. How do you, what do you mean constantly enough? I, you know, I'm just really sad that, that Frank is probably sad, but I'm happy because he's going to get the host of greater proportion of the, the podcast on, on his, on his own. And well, that, that's part's pretty good actually. So I, I guess I'm just about even. Well, I, I'm just about even too. I mean, I didn't really know him that well, but uh, it is a lesson for all of you out there. If you don't brush your teeth constantly, you could get a heart attack. Um, and then we even got one with three people. Uh, for some, I, I mean, again, I don't know why, but Percy from the Binghamton Bruisers, Jack the Stripper, and Percival Knifehammer were all together in a group, and they all sent in a really kind of heartfelt message. That's right. It's me. It's uh, it's uh, Percy from Binghamton Bruisers. We're over here in uh, in England. That's where. Rory Sinjin's home, home country, that's why we're That's here. right, uh, talking in the microphone, talking in the microphone. Yep, this is uh, 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 Jack the Stripper. I'm totally stripping right now. Strip, strip, strip. 
Off goes the coat. Off goes the coat. Well, yeah, that's oh. that's all right. You take the coat off because we're in we're indoors. But you really shouldn't be stripping in a, a letter about somebody dying. I strip at a funeral all the time. Strip, strip, strip. Uh, untying the scarf. Strip, strip. Stop the stripping. All right, we're right here because we're we're all in England, so we figure we there's only limited number of microphones in England, and we've got here. Uh, uh, Rory's a good friend, uh, uh, Percival Knifehammer. Uh, I'm not sure if they, uh, how well they knew each other. But you know, we're, they're both English, just like I'm English. Uh, they pretty good chance they know each other. Pretty small country. Yes, it is I, Percival Knifehammer, returned from my base on the moon, collecting dairy products where nobody will enjoy them, just to record this message for Rory Sinjan. I've come to England to do it. I'm not sure why, but hello, Rory Desai, your celebrity crush, Percival Knifehammer. Why am I recording a message to a dead man? This is a waste of the time of Percival Knifehammer! Away, back to Knifehammer Moonbase, situated on the moon! Walk away to the moon, moon! Well, that was, uh, that was, uh, Percival Knifehammer. Uh, but, uh, yeah, anyway, Rory Sinjin, uh, really sad, uh... Eulogize, eulogize, uh, cry, cry, cry. Um, we're all really sad you died. Hope you come back to life soon, I guess. Is that good? Yeah, that's about good. Uh, I hope he gets it. I hope he likes it. But have a good day, Rory. I mean, have a good rotting, have a good uh, coffin session or whatever you have when you're dead. Um, and we also, of course, we got one uh, from, from uh, Jean-Baptiste. So. Oh, oui, this is uh, Jean-Baptiste Sanseraf. I just got this uh, notice that uh, Rory Sinjin is dead, uh, saying if I want to write a letter. And I just want to say I'm so happy uh, that my competition is dead. And, uh, I, uh, Rory, uh, it was uh, not nice knowing you at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you were my uh, mentor for a while, so I was grateful for that. And uh, I am glad that uh, now that you are dead, I am able to step over you and uh, take over extra history throughout the world and be the only recognized expert. So I don't even have to pay lip service to you or pretend to uh, like you anymore um, or, you know, pretend to have loyalty or nothing. So uh, uh, rest in peace, Rory Sinjin, and uh, that's another, you know, thorn in my side thrown out of the way. Oh, uh, and I almost forgot. We also got one from uh, President William Henry Harrison. Good evening. This is President William Henry Harrison writing to you with my audio recorder from beyond the grave. I just wanted to say that having been dead so long, it's hard to know the developments that have gone on in my beloved country since my demise. But one thing that I do know, having met him here in the afterworld, is that one of your greatest new citizens was... Rory Sinjin, a man dedicated, or so he says, to bettering the lives of his fellow Americans. A truly noble goal that I wish that I had had time to accomplish during my too brief presidency and, in my opinion, too brief lifetime. So, 
from all of us here in the afterlife. Hello, looking forward to meeting you soon, and I'm sorry to have to deprive you of the greatness of Rory Sinjin so early. <sighs> pretty, pretty nice. Uh, a pretty wonderful little tribute to our our good friend Rory. Um, I guess all that's left to do is well. First, let me just remind people. Please, you can write into us at castandwax at gmail.com about any of these things, uh, whether about Rory, about the shows, about um, the future, who knows, anything. Um, and l- let, me, let me especially note, if you're thinking, he doesn't really mean me, he, he, you know, he has people who write in, there's people who write in regularly, you're wrong. I mean, you're not wrong that there are people who write in regularly, but you're wrong that I'm not talking to you. I do mean you. I want you, 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 you to write into us. So please write into us at castandwax at gmail.com. Um, and all that remains after that is just for each of us to say maybe a thing or two about uh, about Rory. Um, Escape, do you want to say something? Um, well, uh, ro- okay, Rory Sinjin uh, <laughs> is a dude. Uh, he was on the podcast for a long time, and one time I made him meet MF. That was pretty funny, but he didn't like it. Weird. And um, that's about it. Okay, that's one way to look at it. Um, Frank, hopefully you'll have something a little better to say about him. Yeah. Uh, well, as we said, Rory and I didn't always see eye to eye, but um, in the end, I think uh, he, you know, he was a he was a uh, basically kind of like a friend, and uh, definitely a colleague who I saw a lot. So, I mean, I will, you know, miss him. Well, I will miss him. That is a fact. Uh, you know, arguing with him was frustrating and was um, sometimes infuriating, but I will miss it, and I will miss uh, having him in my life. Um, it's too bad uh, that that did happen to him. And, uh, Rory, um, I don't know if there's an afterlife, but if there is, I hope that you're happy there. Uh, well, there there isn't, but okay. Um, uh, thank you for 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 um for listening. And uh, I have two things I want to uh to to play really quick. One is um uh a little a little montage I put together of moments of Rory uh, from the podcast. So hopefully you will enjoy those. And then um I think you'll find. And then I recorded a song uh. It was suggested to me in tribute for Rory. It was suggested to me by Bailiff Quimby. I think you'll find it's much more appropriate than the song I played at the beginning. I, I mean, I just was winging that off the top of my head. Uh, I was like, oh, what's a sad sounding song? And I started playing that. But th- this one is one carefully considered, uh, recommended by Bailiff Quimby. I worked really hard on it. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. Um, Rory, we'll miss you and, um, you know, we'll be seeing you. Uh, let me introduce, uh, this is Rory Sinjin, who is uh, British and he is a historian, correct? Yes, I am an historian. I, I work at the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies, where I do currently have a grant. Oh, I've created a universe. I've just discovered a universe. There's a universe in which I'm the president and, and everyone bows down to me. Well, no, there's more to it than that. I've got a lawyer. We're going to prove that I do believe the things I say because I do believe the things I say. And I, I really do believe that there are these alternate realities. No, and I've always said that that's the 
problem with the Jews anyway, so I don't know why you're surprised. That's the way they act. That's the way they've always acted. I did take the great pains to call my mother. Um, she is going to marry Thomas Helver Edison, apparently. Um, I, 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 I don't know that there's anything to be done about it. Do I strike you as effeminate? I, I mean, I only ask because some people say that they find me somewhat effeminate. If you don't have any money, why would I even give you the time of day? Seriously, why would I even give you the time of day? My watch is very high-tech, and it has a little credit card swipe. It won't give you the time of day unless you have money for it. I want to go on record right now, and I want everyone to remember this forever, forever, long after I'm dead, no matter what. Giraffes are the most pointless animals in the entire world. In the world! Giraffes are the most pointless. Remember this. Just rest assured that there is another world in which I am even richer than I am here, and I'm even happier all of the time than I am here. And I'm pretty happy all of the time because I'm pretty rich, let's be honest. But you know, it's like I always say, one can always be richer. Would you know my name If I saw you in heaven Here in heaven 